Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. This episode is dedicated to my dear friend, Michael. Settlement is not a dirty word. It's not a sign of weakness. Compromise does not denote capitulation or giving up. In fact, in modern family law, settlement is a beautiful word. And settlement is something all family court judges, without exception, hope for in each and every case. Even trial judges facing parties who come to them in the final stages of the court case to resolve their outstanding issues by order or judgment hope every single day of the trial that the case will settle without their further involvement. I assure you with a straight face and in all sincerity that this is the case. So why is settlement still a dirty word for so many people? Why is it still seen by many as surrender, defeat? Why do so many people still view making an offer to settle as a sign of weakness? I have thought about this issue for many years now. I have watched the faces of many clients as I have suggested trying to resolve issues in a family law case through dialogue and compromise. I have seen their reactions, including disbelief, when I said an important way to start such dialogue was to make a settlement proposal. I formulated some theories in my head early on in my practice, and these have reinforced themselves over my years of practice as both a family law lawyer and mediator. I'm going to share some of them with you. My experience has been only in this field of law, but I suspect some of the things I will talk about in this episode would echo with other practitioners because human experience permeates so many areas of our lives and our reactions to 
common themes like pressure, aggression, and disappointment are similar irrespective of context. Human beings are competitive. We are wired that way. About two and a half million years ago, East Africa witnessed the first evolution of humans from a genus of apes called Australopithecus, which means southern ape. About 500 years later, these newly minted humans, as we might call them, migrated to North Africa, Europe, and Asia. Evolution took them through Neanderthals and Homo erectus, or upright man, and Homo soloensis, meaning man from the Solo Valley, who were particularly suited to life in the tropics. Evolution in East Africa did not stop, eventually producing Homo sapiens. From the earliest times, humans have competed for space, food, influence, mates, and their very survival. Humans can be very loving, most commonly in response to situations in which their feelings are reciprocated. But when they are hurt by someone in some way, the most common, almost instinctive response is to want to give as good as one gets so that the person who caused us the injury physical or emotional, is punished for their misdeeds and perhaps even feels a bit of what we felt when the arrow was shot. Let's put this in the context of a separation. Here, emotions are particularly high, and each member of the separating couple often feels aggrieved in some way. Sometimes the person who decides to end the relationship points to the action or inaction of the other party as justification for their decision. On the flip side, the person who is left behind has difficulty seeing the other spouse through anything other than a lens of blame. Situations like this are perfect breeding ground for feelings of revenge, reprisal, Those who are hurt want to retaliate. Vengeance begins to motivate responses, approaches. Phrases like, I will show you, I will get you, or you will pay, enter the separation lexicon. Sometimes the person seeking retribution is conscious of what they feel and how they want to deal with that feeling. At other times, this feeling is an unconscious driver of the spouse's words and actions. With all these feelings in the mix, with a high level of emotion, the perfect stage is set for a duel between the two spouses in which each wants to prove to the other that they're better, smarter, and more cunning, that they have a better lawyer who is more skilled at making their point and taking their positions. In situations like this, our most primal human instincts kick in. And every salvo at the court, every cannonball shot across the bow, virtually each step in the war is viewed by the parties as either a win or a loss. And so the cycle continues. 
as part of this multi-dimensional battle, parties in the context of a court proceeding hurl at each other unbelievable accusations, which simply turn up the heat and are in fact often fired for this very purpose, like fiery projectiles. As these tactics are adopted, as financially and emotionally expensive as they are, they move the parties further and further away from each other. Very often, the allegations themselves have no relevance at all to the legal issues before the court. But the parties themselves often feel the need to include these hurtful allegations in their court material for no reason other than to hurt the other side. Again, this kind of warfare is very, very, very expensive on many levels. It drains not only pockets, but also souls, hearts, and spirits. Regrettably, once the parties are into the fight and resources are engaged and then drained, this only propels the parties on rather than deter them. The adage here is in for a penny, in for a pound. I hear people say, I have invested so much in this already, I might as well keep going because I will never get back what I have spent. I see no upside to this approach. It may feel principled, but it essentially amounts to financial suicide or a foolish business decision if you prefer to look at it in business terms. My mantra is make settlement offers early and often. I have never met a person who said to me at the conclusion of many years of litigation, gee, I know I spent $200,000 on motion after motion and then a trial, but I must say at the end of it all, I feel so much better and I'm glad I did that. If I had to live my life again, I would do exactly the same. That simply does not happen. Court will not give you the satisfaction you're looking for. Family law judges are not Judge Judy. They will not wag their finger at someone who they think is misbehaving. If you're hoping for a decision in your case, which excoriates the other side for cheating on you, or not treating you with respect during the marriage, you will not get it. Family court is not a court of morality. Family court simply does not work that way. Family court judges do not tell people there are bad husbands or bad wives. They deal with the breakdown of the relationship based on the law, and with the best interests of children at the forefront of their minds. Before I go any further, I need to make the following point. There are cases which genuinely require the involvement of the court. For example, if one of the parties is not making disclosure, not providing information or documentation, which is absolutely necessary to understanding the party's circumstances, and to making decisions about what should happen next. The court needs to get involved to make the exchange of disclosure happen. 
By way of another example, when one party takes matters into their own hands and withholds a child from the other parent for no justifiable reason, or worse, removes them from their home, a family court judge needs to get involved to address the situation. Or when a dependent spouse or children are left by the other spouse without financial resources, when credit cards are canceled or bank accounts closed, leaving the other party with no means to meet their day-to-day expenses. A family court judge needs to step in. But there are thousands, literally thousands of cases in, in Ontario and in other parts of the world which truly do not require the court's involvement. And if they do, it may be at the initial stage of the case only to push through some impasse that the parties are facing, some disagreement, perhaps on a legal issue. But once that issue is resolved by order, or once the parties have received recommendations or an opinion on the issue from a judge, many, many cases can and should settle. So the takeaway so far is that I think humans are wired to react when they are hurt. In the context of what was previously a loving relationship and is now a separation, these human instincts are raw. And they not only float, but even burst to the surface. So we are victims of our natural wiring, which makes us react when we're hurt and want to punish the person we perceive as the author of our hurt or disappointment for their behavior. I have long suspected that the way the public perceives justice and how legal disputes are or need to be resolved has a lot to do with how people react when they separate. Many members of the public imagine what court is like based on what they have seen on TV, on social media, or what they have read in novels. I'm going to throw out some references to movies and series, and whether you recognize them or not will depend on your age, quite frankly. The media continue to feed us Arnie Beckers and Judd Judy's. Some of us were brought up on Street Legal, L.A. Law, Ali McBeal, The Practice, and Boston Legal. Think of a series on TV right now, or in the past 10 years, in fact, about mediation of family law disputes, or a lawyer who tries tries to settle things. Can't think of one, can you? In fact, there was a series called Fairly Legal with a two-season run about a lawyer who became a mediator, but it was canceled because nobody was watching. Media feed us a particular image of a successful lawyer. Someone who is loud, brash, who interrupts the other side in court, who throws in objection whenever possible, whose job is to get that pound of flesh their client is looking for. There are still such lawyers around, but I can tell you that in family law, they are fewer and far between, and that's a good thing. 
When they come to court these days, they stand out and not in a good way. And increasingly, judges are prepared to tell them that their ways of approaching family law cases are antiquated, outdated, not in keeping with modern family court's objective, which is to have the parties settle as many of their disputes as possible. Imagine that you and your spouse have spent eight years in a slugfest, in an expensive litigation battle involving many motions and then a trial. You've been able to agree on nothing, and you've had to rely on judges to make orders which are imposed solutions to your problems. At the end of this financial suicide, you have in your hand a final court order which dictates how your life will unfold going forward. So where are you at that point? You have spent an incredible amount of money to have a stranger make decisions about your life and possibly the lives of your children. Court orders generally polarize parties, meaning send them further and further apart rather than the other way around. I have never seen two litigants at the end of the trial walk towards one another, shake hands and say, well, that was that, let's be friends now. That simply doesn't happen. Litigation has the effect of reducing rather than increasing the possibility of future cooperation. So the net effect is that at the end of a battle, a war of financial and emotional attrition, which will virtually certainly impact your children in a profound and long-lasting way, you and your ex are truly no further ahead than you were when the separation first happened. You have now dug deeper trenches between you and around you and spent a lot of money doing so. If you have kids, they now have two parents who are much less likely to cooperate in the years ahead. I want to leave you with the following thoughts. Number one, if you are already involved in a court case, speak to your lawyer about the possibility of settlement. If you cannot put the whole case to bed through dialogue and negotiations, perhaps it's possible to take at least some of the issues off the table. That is better than nothing. I'm going to have a separate episode in which I will talk about offers to settle in the context of a court proceeding and talk about terms such as protecting costs. In a court case, there are special and very important considerations for making formal offers to settle. For example, offers can have a very real impact on your chances of getting your costs at the end of a trial or at a motion. In other words, having the judge order the other side to pay your legal costs. So these are the subjects that episode will cover. But back to this one, here's my thought number two. If you are not yet in a court case and are standing at a crossroads, a fork in the road, 
making a decision as to which way to go, whether to declare a war, fight in court, or to take some other approach. Consider mediation. When two people who were previously in a relationship call my office to ask about the possibility of mediating with me, that is a signal to me that they have already chosen the possibility of a dialogue over the practical realities of court, which is generally polarizing, to try and resolve their issues. The ability to compromise and even efforts to settle are signs of maturity and self-awareness. Often they demonstrate to a family court judge that a parent is willing and able to put their children's best interests ahead of their own, often very human instinct to get retribution, to better the other parent, to get payback. Make offers early and often. Try to settle where you can. I promise you that when your bank accounts are drained, because you have spent your precious resources on a fight, one you thought would bring you revenge and satisfaction, any win will feel hollow. Try settling today. Take the first step. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.